Good morning. <laughs> I will be reading from Matthew 9.35 through 10.8 from the Common English Bible. Jesus traveled among all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the size of the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few co-workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest and send out workers for, for his harvest. He called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits and threw them out to heal every disease and every sickness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Jesus sent these 12 out and commanded them, don't go among the Gentiles or into the Samaritan, into the Samaritan city, Go instead to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. As you go, make this announcement. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, and throw out demons. You receive without having paid. Therefore, give without demanding payment. Please join me in prayer as we approach God's word this morning. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Amen. Well, the last couple of weeks, um, we've been in the midst of this conversation on um, what for many of us I think is like a loaded, dreaded topic of evangelism. Or like, how, how do we go about sharing our faith? Um, this is the final week of that conversation. And coming into that, I found myself thinking a lot recently about this particular text from Matthew, where Jesus looks out over the kind of teeming crowds around him, and then he says to his disciples that the harvest is bigger than you can imagine. I mean, apparently what Jesus is seeing as he looks out over this crowd is just this like giant field of people who are ripe and ready to be brought into the family of God. I don't know about any of you, but as a person living in 2021, like that is not exactly how I picture the landscape when I look over the world around us. Like it looks like there's a couple straggly, maybe scraps of wheat and tumbleweeds rolling by. Um, first century people, you know, they, their best medicine at the time was like donkey dung. Um, they, they were desperate. Um, th this seems a little different from our situation in 2021. Like, if, if we're sick, we've got mayo. If we're hungry, we've got the McDonald's drive through If we need transcendence, we've got Mozart. If we need renewal, we have massages. Like, sometimes I feel like, and I've talked to my pastor friends about this, and we've had this conversation, like, selling Jesus in 2021 sometimes feels like selling a cure for polio. Everybody's like, eh, our bases are covered. But 
the thing about Jesus is Jesus always had a knack for, for looking at people, looking at groups, and, and seeing past the surface of things to the heart of things. So I find myself wondering, like if Jesus were to look out over the landscape of our community in 2021, what would he actually see? And Matthew says when, when he looks at this crowd in first century Palestine, he sees people who are troubled and helpless. Well, what would he see around us? Are things as good as they seem? Um, after pondering this a lot the last couple weeks, I, I have to think to myself, the answer is no. And I know the answer is no, not as a matter of faith, but because I know my own life and I know a lot of you and I know the kind of conversations we're having. Like, we, we might be sitting in a situation of material abundance. We might have McDonald's and mayo, but we have middle-class neighborhoods. We are a largely middle-class church, and yet just kind of thick with an atmosphere of chronic anxiety and depression. Like, human beings are not flourishing in 2021. There are professionals who are working long hours, like giving their lives to 50, 60, 70-hour weeks, who feel no sense of purpose or meaning from the work that they're doing. We've got people, and these people span the whole range from, like, really socially awkward to very socially skilled who are still feeling profoundly lonely and just wondering, am I lovable? I mean, we have people who are going home every day throwing back drink, throwing back food, throwing back television, just trying to turn themselves off because they feel empty and they feel numb and they just don't want to feel anything at all. When Jesus looks out over the crowd and he says, look, at, <laughs> look the harvest is huge beyond your imagining. What Jesus is not saying is, look at these masses of people who are eager for religion. What Jesus is saying is, look at this mass of sick people. Sick people want to get better. Right? Like, there are exceptions to that, but in the majority of cases, people who are sick, people who are suffering, want to feel better. And this is why Jesus th thinks the harvest is plentiful, not because everybody's dying for religion, but because most of us are dying to be whole. And Jesus knows that what he's come to do is to make people whole. According to Jesus, the problem is not that there's a lack of need in the world to draw people to him and to God. The problem is that there's a lack of workers. So why is there a lack of workers? Well, I think there's a lack of workers because most of us are spending most of our energy, most of the time, just trying to keep our own heads above water. Right? The, the vast majority of us, all in our own unique ways, feel most of the time like we're drowning and we're just trying to keep ourselves afloat and you don't have a lot of energy for like helping to rescue and heal other people if you feel like you're bleeding out yourself. I, I thought going into this series on evangelism, I had in my head this idea that, you know, the reason Christians don't talk about their faith with other people is we're afraid. We're just afraid to have the conversation. That's the big obstacle. But I, I'm pretty sure after a lot more thought and reflection and prayer, that is not the actual problem. Like, we're afraid, yeah, but it's kind of a loose surface fear. The actual problem is that most of us haven't experienced good news ourselves, so we don't have a lot to talk about. Like, fear is not a huge thing to overcome if you feel like you have discovered something really great. But you can't really sell other people what you haven't tasted 
and you're not even really motivated to try, right? Like if something actually good and transformative hasn't happened to you, it, it seems kind of strange to be asked to go and talk about how something good and transformative could happen to somebody else. So I, I had planned for this last, this last sermon in this series to, to come up here and give you a whole bunch of practical tips about how to share your faith, but I, I really ended up feeling in the end like that is solving the wrong problem. That what we need as a community most is not a conversation about how. What we need most as a community of faith is to come back to the story and hear Jesus saying, Jesus gets up in front of the crowd and he says, the kingdom of God is near and I have come to give you tastes of that by beginning the process of making you whole. That is what Jesus came to do. That is the summary Matthew gives of Jesus' whole ministry. What Jesus came to do is to tell the world, God has a desire for you to be whole, and God has sent me to begin the process of healing. That's what the good news is. Now, I think there, there are a lot of us here, there are a lot of us outside the walls who are just feeling really keenly these days like the jagged edges of how not whole we are. Like, we feel really aware this year of all, of all these kind of raw edges of our brokenness. And I think it's really important to, to name and to kind of bring ourselves back to this core fact, what is God up to in the world? God is up to the work of healing. I don't care, you know, I don't know the particularity of everybody's circumstances of, or story right now, but I don't have to. What I can tell you definitively is that God is working right now actively in your life to lead you toward greater healing and wholeness. That is what God is doing in the world. That is what God is doing in your life right now. And sometimes we forget this, I think, because we expect that the healing of God, like if God's going to heal, it's going to be sudden and huge and dramatic. And, you know, not all wounds are healed quickly. Not all wholeness comes quickly. And what's happened to a lot of us, and I know this because I'm speaking for myself here, is there's certain kinds of wounds and certain kind of brokenness and lack of wholeness in our lives that we just get used to and we live with it after years and we haven't seen a real change in it and we think this is never going to get better and we give up. And we decide we're just going to kind of sit in it. Like, this is who I am. I'm just fractured in this way. And this is what I'll carry through the world for the rest of my life. Maybe someday life will get better in, like, the next life, but this is just how it is. Right? It didn't happen quickly enough for us. So, so we kind of lose the feeling that God is working on this or, or that something is meant to be different. But it's not meant to be this way. Like God, God is always in this process of healing. But the thing I am learning, and it's taken me more years than I would like to admit to learn this, is like the process of healing most of the time requires our active engagement. It's not just going to bed every night being like, gosh, I hope I wake up whole. God, please let that happen. Right? Like sometimes that works, sometimes that happens, but most of the time that journey toward healing and wholeness, God is working toward it, but most of the time it requires our active engagement that we show up and we begin to kind of devote ourselves in cooperation with God to the putting together of those pieces. And I, I'm, I'm preaching, I, I feel like it's always important for me to preach to me as well as to you, because if we don't work on this, like if we are not actively engaged in our own lives in this journey toward wholeness, the reality is we're not going to have good news to offer anybody else. 
Because nobody is interested in hearing us talk about something we haven't tasted. Right? If, if we're not doing this for us, <laughs> this, is, this work of healing, it's something we do for the people around us because we can't offer a good news we have no idea of ourselves. So what does that look like practically? Like, how do you actually begin to engage with God in the process of your own healing? Like, that, that's the big money question, right? We all, we all want to be whole, but what does it look like to get on that journey? I, I want to offer just a few suggestions on where it starts, or at least where it's starting for me. Um, several times in the last couple months, totally random people in my life, people I didn't know at all, felt compelled to give me this, a copy of the same prayer by a man named Thomas Keating. Um, Thomas Keating is a contemplative. He's known for his deep prayer life. He's a theologian. And this is a prayer that's known as the welcoming prayer. Um, and this is something I've begun praying every morning when I get up, and I want to just read it through with you. It's printed in your bulletin if you'd like to read along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and God's action within. Amen. What is this prayer about? Like, the first time I read through it, I honestly had this immediate, like, repulsion reaction. Like, everything is not for my healing. Like, God didn't cause all this to happen, so my life could be better. Um, but as I began to pray through it, a light kind of came on for me, and I was like, oh, that's not what this prayer is saying. This prayer is not saying that everything that happens to you, God is causing because it's for your good. This prayer is saying that no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstance, what people you're encountering, what feeling you're having, no matter what is going on in your life today, God is already at work in that, turning everything toward your healing. God is already in your work right in, in at work in your life right now, opening the way toward greater wholeness. And one of the reasons I think this prayer has just become so important for me right now to be praying through every morning because it, it sets myself in a mindset of saying, God is engaged in my life. Like, God is engaged with me for good. The stuff that's having, happening to me, like, no matter how bad it might seem, like, it's not destined for total disaster because God is present in it and God is working toward healing. And if I can believe that, if I can kind of wrap myself around that, I can start showing up to every circumstance and every conversation looking for, God, how do I engage with you in this so that I take one step toward greater wholeness in this situation today? Whatever's going on, God, how do I enter this moment with you so that what comes out of this moment is somehow my greater healing and wholeness? Like, once I have that, that kind of prayer in my mind, like, once I've, I've set myself on that conviction, this is what God is present to do. God is here to heal. God is here to, for wholeness. I show up differently. And the second thing, then, is I can begin to do actual small acts during the day that are like teeny tiny steps in the right direction to cooperate with what God is doing. 
And the way, I, the way I'm thinking about it right now in my own life is just to ask myself the question, like, what would a person slightly more whole than me do in this moment? Right? Like, if I, if I can feel the kind of jagged edge of my wound, like, I don't have to act like I'm whole, I don't have to pretend I'm something else, but if I was, like, slightly farther along the way of healing, what would somebody in that position do? How would they respond? Right? Maybe I can find some small act that takes me just an inch further toward that direction of wholeness, trusting that the power of God is already operative beneath it. Like God is already working this thing toward my healing. So if I can just find a small way today to cooperate with that, maybe I can end today a little more whole than when I went in. I mean, the third thing you can do, um, tell, tell somebody, at least one other person in your life, what's going on. Um, I am a person who is often really reluctant to talk about this stuff because I say to myself, like, what's the point? right? Like, this is my internal journey. Nobody else can do it for me. Like, why would I need to talk to somebody else? But I I find time and time again, there's something really powerful about bringing something to the light with somebody else and having them hold it with you. That it, It just is amazing to me how often I finally choose to tell somebody something I intended not to say. And the very act of conversing with them around it, like, leads to a much bigger step toward wholeness than I ever would have taken on my own. Right? We're not talking magic cures. We're not talking about little pills that suddenly everything is better. But somehow, like, if I was going to go one inch by myself, talking to that person gave me two inches or three inches. Like, tell somebody else. And just one more starting tip. Um, this has come up in our kind of double talk conversation um, after the service we've had the last couple weeks. Um, but there is a practice in the Christian tradition called centering prayer. Um, I've known about this prayer practice for a really long time, but I've never in my life actually done it regularly until this year. And the practice of centering prayer is basically a prayer in which you shut up and just show up to God and let God do whatever God wants. It turns out that this is a very difficult form of prayer for a lot of us because I immediately want to start rambling. And there's something really challenging about just like sitting down in a chair and saying, God, I am here. I am open. You do what you want to do. And then to stop talking and stop struggling and stop working and just sit there in the silence, in the stillness, and let God act. Um. If it helps you as a practical tip, I usually set a timer on this because a minute feels like an hour and I get really squirmy and it's hard. Like start with just a few minutes if that's where you need to start, right? Like three minutes. Um, But the idea is just like quiet your mind and just set yourself on a single like intention. I am here for you, God. I am open. And then don't even worry about what happens after that. Like, this is not about feeling anything. This is not about thinking anything. It's not about hearing anything. It's simply about the fact that God is active in the world, and you can show up, and sometimes the the work that needs to be done of healing, that needs to be work coming from God and not from you. So all you're doing is showing up, and you're letting the doctor work, right? I've been doing this for a while. I have to tell you, like, 99% of days I've felt nothing. I've heard nothing. Nothing has occurred, And yet, as it accumulates week by week by week, like, I feel the difference in the wholeness level. I I don't even know how to explain it. Like, some of those jagged edges just seem to come off. And I feel nothing in the moment, and yet this is the power of this kind of practice of letting God do the work. It's like it goes out of your hands, and you just accept what God is doing. None of these are magic bullets. None of these are instant cures. But all of these are just small steps I think we can take 
that re-engage us in this journey of healing, saying this is what God is about, and this is how I'm choosing to show up to what God is doing. So uh, at this time, I want to invite forward Liz Brinkman. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been having conversations with different members of our Trinity family about how they, they go about sharing their faith. And I feel like it was really a God thing that um, Liz had been assigned to this date because um, Liz is one of the people I really wanted to have this conversation with. I respect her. She has many conversations about deep things, things that matter, um, things of faith with people um, in her own life. And she's also a person, I think, that is very aware of this journey of healing in herself. Um, so Liz, thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, why don't you tell anyone who doesn't know you a little about who you are and where your kind of circles of life take you? Thank you for asking. First, I just want to say hi to everyone. I've been gone, and it's just so lovely to see everyone's eyes. <laughs> and if anyone's watching on YouTube, hi. Um, this is what I call locating myself when I speak to other groups or to people. And it's part of anti-oppression work. But I'm Liz Brinkman. I'm 46 tomorrow. And um, I am a mother of four. I'm a wife to Dan. And I'm a dietitian. I have been for over 20 years. Um, cisgender, heterosexual. I can read. I am a citizen of the United States of America. I can drive. I have a lot of abilities. So I do have a private practice in Phoenix right now. And I work with people who are working to recover from eating disorders and disordered eating. And I feel really honored to be here today. Well, Liz, you and I have had a lot of conversations in the past about conversations about faith and questions of meaning that you have with people in your life. Can you tell us a little about like maybe one of those conversations that might have happened recently um, about faith with someone who's not a committed Christian? Like what, what kind of conversation was it? What comes up? You know what? If I wanted to be an atheist, I would have to pray to God to be an atheist. It's just my faith is imprinted on me. So I can't not bring it into the work that I do. So people come to me because they have a confusing relationship with food, but I always feel like they stay with me because I bring a little something extra to the conversation, and I think that something extra is my faith. Even for people who, you know, I don't really know if, if they have a faith or what their faith is. So what I know, um, you know, when I think about a time when I spoke to someone about faith, my faith, um, I see a lot of women in my practice my age, middle-aged women, and they're on a precipice of something. They have tried everything to feel whole and to feel healed, and that usually looks like diets and workout programs and plastic surgery, and it might even look like self-harm or addiction. And so what I've learned in my 20 years, and what I'm happy to share with them, is the good news that this metric that they're after, that they're measuring their worth against, is false. And that there is a different metric that we can measure ourselves to. And it not, I don't hardly ever say it overtly, but it is this good news of Jesus, the gospel. 
Yeah. Well, you're already kind of speaking to the next question, but let's press into this a little. Like, what are some of the wounds that you see as you look around culturally and as you have conversations with people? Like, where where are some of the common wounded spots? And what is the good news in the midst of that? Yeah, I think I kind of named it a little bit already, but the the wounds of our culture, is that what you're asking? Yeah. I want to make sure I had the question right. Um, That there is a very narrow standard for beauty or for health or for goodness. And it's lies. It's, it's something that we're conditioned to believe in, that we have learned to attach to because the people with authority in our lives have attached to it too. And so we've just learned it honestly, and it feels like the truth. And it just is not sustainable. Even when you feel like, oh, this is working for me. This, what, I don't even want to name the things that people do because I don't want to give anyone any ideas. But it feels right at the time. And look at me. I'm finally feeling good. But then it just slips out of their grasp, even though they are so tangled up in the truth of it. And so just having conversations with people of, tell me the story of your relationship with food and your body growing up. Like, where did you learn these things? And then, and who spoke into them, and why is it important for you to, to hold on to them, and what does it mean to let go of them? Just asking a ton of questions and always going into a conversation feeling like, I, I don't know what this person's story is. And um, the gospel is at work in their life, even if they don't know it. I think one of the things that stands out to me, Liz, about what you're saying is um, one of the things that sets Christianity apart from other religions as a faith is that we are an incarnational faith um, about a God who's taken on a body. And you're speaking to good news that is about embodiment, right? Like the the goodness of the physical in which God has chosen to dwell. Um, And perhaps that is an underestimated part of our message is um, we talk about life after death, but but the material, the goodness of what God sees in in the body. This good news that we have to offer is bad news for our culture. It's bad news for systems of oppression who want us to stay locked into pursuing these false truths. And so I, I just can't wait to tell people that. Even if they hear it and they're just like, what? No, and I never see them again. I always see them again. <laughs> it's, yeah. Sometimes that fresh news feels too scary. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm not for them right now. Someone else will come in and take their spot. Well, that's worth naming because even Jesus had opposition, right? The, the reality of evil is there's always somebody benefiting from working against the purposes of God. Where God wants healing, there's always someone benefiting from the broken edge. And, and part of that is beginning to, part of the healing is beginning to identify who is winning from this and why. Yeah. Um, well, get really practical with this. Um, you're such a comfortable person conversing with others, but some of us maybe are not as socially comfortable. How do you go about opening a conversation about something of faith or something of deeper meaning with, with somebody? What, without being super awkward and preachy, um, like how, how do you just kind of extend an invitation for conversation? Anything meaningful is going to be awkward. I just want you to know that. And this is no place for perfection. Right, guys? I say it all the time. It's our family motto because we are good at not being perfect, and I'm super tired of trying to be so. So once you can let go of feeling like 
you as a person of faith is going to, I gosh, be responsible for someone's transformation, please let go of that. Turn towards a person with curiosity. I don't, I'm very nervous right now. I'm shaking. I don't know any of the answers. And I, I start every day of my practice with a vase, and I'm just like, fill this room with something that I can't even name. Like, it's wordless. There, there is no name for it. And um, I, I loved what you said, you know, your steps of, of how to move forward. But something that struck me is before we can let go of a desire, we have to feel held and secure in something real before we can let go of that. So I honestly feel like the work that I do isn't even like, okay, step one, you do this, step two. I'm like, can you be with me here now in your body? Can you feel yourself sitting in this chair? Can you stand to feel something? Because so many people are disconnected from this body of theirs that is not obeying the rules. (laughs) And they can't think their way into getting it to obey. We need to act our way into doing it. And just like any little baby that's learning something new, we have to practice something. And we need someone who's gone before us that can model that to us. In my work, and I'm trying to get someone to feel more comfortable eating, I have to hand them food. I have to eat with them. And so I guess when I think about how to not, how to not feel scared or awkward, my encouragement would be, even if you are scared and it feels awkward, it's okay. Like, we aren't perfect. Perfection is in God. Perfection is in the gospel. And our culture tells us that we should be perfect. And that's where eating disorders start, and that's where addiction starts, and that's where failed relationships start. So um, I think that's, that's my conviction. Yeah. I want to go off script for a second, Liz, as we close, Um, because we're we're talking a little about sharing good news, but I also just talked today about when we need good news ourselves. What counsel would you have? I imagine there are people within our community here who are struggling in different ways with that brokenness being a relationship with the body. Like maybe it's the kind of eating things that you're you're talking about, but maybe it's maybe it's a body that's aging or sick or failing. What kind of counsel would you have for someone who is needing to find the presence of God in their struggle with embodiment? This is so complicated, but it's not too much. Um, I, I like to start with always validating. Because when we validate someone and we say, it makes a lot of sense that you're having a hard time. That does something in our neurobiology, and it shifts us from being in a state of threat and defensiveness to being landed, to being present to connect to something that isn't going to cause further harm. And so um, my biggest hope is that we can start to redefine what health looks like, um, that your physical body is going to age and is going to start to decline in health. But you are so much more than your body. And I don't know, I guess I just feel like no matter even what your IQ level is, you have something in you that trauma can't touch, that cancer can't touch, that um, addiction can't touch, 
And you don't have to do this alone. You cannot. So if you feel stuck, it makes a lot of sense. You need someone, someone to help you. And I think there are more people in this room, especially, who are willing to be that for you. Especially if you go into it being like, we don't really know what's going to happen here, but we're not doing it alone. You made me think of the Apostle Paul talks about, he says in one of his letters, like, outwardly we are fading away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That this process of redemption, God is healing everything, right? Minds, bodies, spirits, all of it. Um, but the inward is coming first, and God is working to, to catch up the outward in it. Um, so that's the, the journey that we're on together as we receive a holistic good news. Thank you, Liz, for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for asking. If you'd like to engage in more conversation with us, um, we have started a new thing called Double Take um, at, let's see, 10.30 now, in a half an hour after you get your kitchen tour and we close worship. If you'd like to come back in and have some more conversation with us about sharing faith, but also what if you need good news yourself? Like, where do you go from here? Um, We'll be here for more conversation at 10.30. Please pray with me. God, I am so grateful for the reminder this week that you are already at work, toward healing in the lives of every person here. You didn't wait for us to know that or ask for it. Um, This is just what you were doing um, because your love for us and for the world is relentless. You are determined that all things should be healed and whole and right. I pray for just somehow today, if we are in a dark place, the seed of that hope would be planted and break through that hope in what you can do would begin to grow, even if the healing is a really long road, that you are with us and that there is something better awaiting as we cooperate with you in this journey. Open our eyes this week to what it looks like in our lives to take some small step toward greater wholeness. And show us, Lord, show us how we can speak life and hope to someone else this week in our life who is also feeling stuck and broken and not sure if there's a way. Give us not perfect words, but even just beautifully imperfect ones to say there is someone in this universe who loves you, who is committed to your good, and there is hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.